You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. come now to uh, Psalm 119, and we'll be looking at the first uh, eight verses of this psalm. And it is, uh, for those of you who have flipped through the psalms, uh, this is definitely by far the longest psalm. I want to say I think it has 170 plus verses uh, in it. But we'll concentrate first with the first section because uh, the psalm is indeed, it's broken up, it's, a, it's an acrostic, so that each section, especially if you're looking at the ESV, each section starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so every single line of these stanzas starts with that same letter. You've probably done this as children, maybe you've used your name to write out different attributes, and here the psalmist is taking the entire alphabet to extol and explain and to praise God for his just rules. So let's come now to Psalm 119, the first eight verses. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. And thus begins the the first stanza, if you will, in this incredibly long psalm. But it is interesting when we think about this, that the, the writer of this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, composed this whole psalm using every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It, it's meant to, in a sense, almost be exhaustive, uh, not exhausting, but exhaustive in its contemplation of God's law and its relationship to us. And if you remember, the, the beginning of the psalm starts off in a very similar manner. In Psalm 1, blessed is the man, and it speaks of him uh, following after God's law. But also, you'll note that this isn't just a, a contemplation of the law as good, as God's commandments as good, but it's actually also a prayer. Uh, the, the person writing this is, is in actual difficult times, experiencing very uh, a difficult a situation. And yet he's holding out hope that ultimately God will rescue him. Right? You can see that just at the very end of verse 8. Do not utterly forsake me. Do not utterly cast me off. And so he's looking forward to being ultimately rescued through this. And so as we, we said during the children's message, right, laws are not necessarily always bad, even if sometimes they inconvenience us. You know, I can think of, uh, of uh, diabetes as an illness. My mother actually was diagnosed with type 2. There's no sense fighting it, right? It was just the reality of her situation. And so she then needed to manage uh, what she ate, Uh, and what she drank in order to keep her blood sugar at a stable level, right? There's no business fighting against reality. She just simply had to now follow new rules in her life in order for her to be happy and healthy. And as we look at this, many of God's laws 
we can see speak to how we are to be happy in his creation. When we can think of the Ten Commandments, right, a society that would follow those, that, that would have no murder, would be a wonderful place to live in, uh, a place in which we, we lived where nobody uh, stole, uh, a place where nobody coveted, a place where we worshipped the Lord together, that idolatry was, was no more, that the world understood and knew and worshipped God, the creator of this. That would be a, a wonderful place to live. And so the psalmist begins this psalm. And just, we'll look at it in, in three parts here. Uh, the first, he starts off uh, really the theme of it all, the, the blessing of the law, verses one through four. And then there's this prayer sandwiched in the middle in verse five, this longing for the law. And then in verses six through eight, the transformation that the law brings. So the blessing of the law, the longing for the law, and the transformation of the law. And so he begins this. Again, just like Psalm 1, there's this, this double blessing. Blessed are those in verse 1, and blessed are those in verse 2. He starts off, I think, as the Psalms start off, enticing us into here. Well, how can I find blessedness, this, this settled happiness in my life? How can I find it? He offers that out to us. Blessed are those, and now to, to read on to say this is the way in which to have a blessed and happy life. He said, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. He talks about being blameless, to, to walk in holiness, uh, to be, uh, imagine, standing in the presence of the Lord one who is altogether holy and good and just, and to be standing in his presence with nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to need to repent of, to be standing there, right, as Adam and Eve would have stood before the fall, in his presence, blameless before him in this perfect, restored relationship. And really, that's what we see offered for us much clearer in the New Testament, that by faith we trust in God's promises that the Spirit is, is working in us to cleanse us and to clean us and to, to testify to us that we belong to God. And note, too, that this psalmist isn't speaking just merely of, of obeying laws as just an external action, right? To, to, to grudgingly have to drive 60 miles an hour even though you would rather do 70. He's not speaking of just mere external actions. Because look at, at verse 2, that those who seek him with their whole heart their whole heart. When the Bible speaks of the heart, it's really that whole control center of everything, the, the mind, the, the soul, the affections, all of it, the entire person. So it's not just this grudging, oh, I'll have to do these things, but rather flowing out of that. The law written in the heart that this person is, is blessed and finding joy in life by being obedient to what God commands. And actually, again, we'll see that as we were to turn the pages in the New Testament, speaks of this new covenant, this new promise established where God writes the laws on the hearts of his people, not on tablets of stone that sit out there, but, but an internal change. And you can see, again, these uh, action verbs, the, these verbs that are driving us to actually do something. There's walking, there's keeping, there's seeking here in this first section, who also do no wrong but walk in your ways. They keep diligently keeping your statutes, right? Walking in the law is the opposite of walking in rebellion, 
Psalm 1 perfectly sets up these, these two different pathways before us. There's, there's walking in holiness and there's walking in unholiness. Right Again, if we go back to the law, ultimately its primary purpose is to remind us and guide us in how we will not sin. Again, if we just go back to the Ten Commandments or to go to a New Testament example, think of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's all about ways in which to guide us so that we might not sin, so that we might be holy as God is holy. And actually, as we've been looking through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he sets up wonderfully in verse chapters 1 through 3, a God's work of salvation in our lives in chapters 4 through 6. Now, how we are to respond and to walk. Actually, tonight, uh, the reason I wanted to preach on Psalm 119 is, is this use of the word walk is all throughout what Paul is saying uh, for us as Christians. This walking in life. And think of the, the richness of a metaphor like walk. Right, walking includes action. Right, you have to stand up. You can't sit on your couch and walk. You have to get up. You have to walk. There's there's a direction to it. There may not always be a destination. Maybe you're just walking, but there's a there's a direction that you're going. There's action that's happening. Your legs are moving. And so the the psalmist here is, is speaking of of getting us up and actually doing something. And then he, he comes in verse 4, speaking of obedience. Obedience, that you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Not only has God given the law, but he's commanded that we be obedient to it, which, if you think about it, makes perfect sense. We have rules around our house. We also expect our children to then do the things that we have commanded. The law just doesn't sit out there as something nice that we hope for. We actually expect obedience to it. And as we think of this, uh, it's, it's very easy. And again, this is brought up uh, very clearly in the New Testament. There's, there's ways to look at the law in a wrong way. And there's ways to look at the law in a right way. There, there were many during Paul's time who looked at the law and said, if only I can do all of these things, if only I can make myself better, if only I can get to this perfect standard, if only I can do all of these things to make God love me, then he'll accept me. There are many who who thought that, and there are many who think that today, that as long as I can do all of these things, God will then love me. That is not at all what the psalmist is saying. That's not at all the way the law is ever presented. The law is always presented in a way in which there's a relationship first, and then obedience is commanded after that. Again, think of the Ten Commandments. Paul, uh, Paul, sorry. Uh, God says, I have brought you out of Egypt. I have redeemed you. I have saved you now. Here are the Ten Commandments. And even here, this is the psalmist is blessing the Lord, is blessing God. He clearly, he has a relationship with the Lord, and flowing out of that is his joy over being obedient. And so there's a right way and there's a wrong way to view the law. Because the right way of looking at it is that it is just simply God's standard. God is actually holy and perfect and just in and of himself. And so then he gives us a standard by which we are to be raised up, if you will, in order to to be in a relationship with him. And so what we see in the law is really just a recognition of what holiness is. Right? It's, It's easy for us to look at the law and to say, well, we can't fulfill it. And that we need to sort of just chuck it now and be done away with. But the psalmist reminds us, Paul reminds us, Jesus reminds us that what God commands is good. 
that it is good for us to, to meditate on these laws, to recite the Ten Commandments, to be told what holiness is, so that we can understand the magnitude of what it means for Jesus to take upon our sin and to be and to bring us and to, to show us what true righteousness, true holiness is. And so if you were to read all through Psalm 119 uh, today or, or throughout the week, you'll see just the, the, these uh, synonyms for the law. There's actually eight of them that are used. Uh, the, the psalmist just seems to be looking at a Hebrew thesaurus, if you will, to just find all of the words that he can to just fill this psalm. But we, we see the law, the testimonies, the precepts, the statutes, the judgments, and the commandments. In, in some sense, these all just mean the same thing. They're slightly different uh, nuances, but, but all of these are, are talking about what God has commanded his people to do. And we can think of the, the law as this big encompassing everything. Right? The first five books of the Bible were called the law. And think of testimonies where, where God is, is witnessing to himself. He is testifying to himself, to his, his nature. And we think of, of precepts. There's just this wide variety of divine words and deeds. Really, the, the idea there, it's related to like military orders. Right? When a commanding officer, I've never been in the military, but we can ask Luke this when he's back, that when a commanding officer gives you an order, there really is only one expectation that you do it. And then he speaks of statutes. Statutes, that these would be these like specific laws that were given, such as sacrifice or ethical demands. We see judgments, or the ESV translates it as rules. And then commandments, again, just this idea that God has revealed his truth and he expects obedience to it. And I think what all of these different words are helping us see, while the Ten Commandments are a wonderful summary, the law is much bigger. And as we've been seeing through Genesis, the law has, has preceded even the giving of the Ten Commandments at Sinai. And really, Genesis through Deuteronomy would, would, would often be called the law. That the law was not just the rules given, but all that God has done in order to redeem his people. And so this, this psalm is really just trying to paint this big and, and this giant picture of God's work and God's rules. The, the right requirements that he has for God's people. And so really what we should look at this psalm is just to see and to reflect upon what God has done in our life through Jesus Christ. Right? In the New Testament, we have this beautiful picture of it's Christ who has fulfilled the law. It's Christ who has paid our debt to the law. It is Christ who's freed us from the demands of the law. And what I mean by that is the punishments that the law deserves on those who break it. And in that sense, how good is the law? How good are God's commands? And now for those who, who believe in Jesus Christ, he sends the Holy Spirit into us in order to help us become more holy because that's the destination that's the goal that there is this one day coming when there won't be sin and rebellion and disobedience anymore for those in Jesus Christ and that should cause us to actually praise the Lord for the giving of his law that one day we will actually stand in his presence blameless I mean I don't even know if I can actually adequately even understand what it will be like to be in God's holy presence and to not feel shame or fear because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And so I think thinking on that, we see this transition that the psalmist comes to in verse 5. This longing for the law. 
He's extolling the wonders of it, but in verse 5, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. So as he's extolling the law on the one hand, certainly he's looking at himself and seeing his failures on the other. You think of, uh, again, in the Old Testament, the, the constant sacrificing of animals is this reminder that you're constantly in sin and need of forgiveness. That keeping the law perfectly is not something that they would ever be able to attain. And so he prays. He prays to God, would you help me? Would you guide me? Would you be with me? Would you help me to pursue holiness? That may I be steadfast, firmly planted in your statutes. And it's interesting to see this connection. God commands, right in verse 5, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. And then now this prayer that it would be fulfilled in his life. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Right, this, this prayer of holding fast is really, what, is really what's being asked for here. I mean, you can think of it in, in combat, especially back when uh, you would have troops lined up facing one another, and you weren't supposed to break rank, you weren't supposed to run away, you were supposed to hold that line and fire when the commanding officer gave those orders, waiting until that right moment. This picture here where the psalmist is standing in the face of, of whatever he is going through, wanting to be steadfast and hold firm to what God has commanded. Right, this is a, a wonderful prayer that we can pray as Christians, that we would hold fast to Christ and hold fast to what Christ commands for us. Well, then from that prayer, this brings out this wonderful way in which the law is transforming him. Uh, in verses 6 through 8, that it brings a, a blessing to him. Then I shall not be put to shame. I will praise you. I will keep your statutes. This I shall, I will, I will. These things that are, are flowing out of this. Right? The law brings blessing. Then the psalmist prays that he would be obedient to that. And then this transformation. Right? That I will not be put to shame. The idea there being, being vindicated against the enemies who are persecuting him. I mean, you can think ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? As he's hanging on the cross dying, they're, they're, they're yelling out, they're taunting him. You know, save yourself, you who saved others. And condemned as a, as a criminal to die there. That he was then raised on the third day. He was vindicated. God has shown that he was, he was the one who was perfect. Who had come to rescue his people. And I think also here the psalmist is once again crying out not to be put to shame. Uh, taking hope that it's not about law filling. Fulfilling all of the law requires. But rather it is about God who gives the law. Who redeems his people. And who is with them. Right, the, the psalmist is ultimately praying about this relationship that changes, that, that changes the psalmist's heart so that he then loves the things that God loves. And God loves himself, his holiness. God loves his son. And now God loves his people through his son. In the second half of verse 6, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. Right? He's, he's looking at them. He's, he's wanting to keep them before him so that he would be obedient. Right? That, that this idea of God's truth, it's to be obeyed. And this, from that, causes him to praise in verse 7. Right? It's just simply a fact that, that sin separates. 
Disobedience separates. But, but those who are in Christ are renewed are then those who can then praise God. And finally, in the end here, I will keep. Like his prayer in verse 5 and God's requirements in verse 4. And now in verse 8, this wonderful fulfillment of that. That through the Lord working in his life, what God has started, God is finishing. And that when we abide in Jesus, he says, we bear much fruit. And finally, the ending of this first stanza, do not forsake me. I think, again, this reminds us that it's all about grace, right? He's crying out to the Lord. This is a lament. He's asking for help. He's needing God to intervene in his life. He can't be left alone. He can't be left on his own. He needs God to act. Right, and as we think about this, for those who have been transformed by the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, uh, they're to to walk in holiness. They will walk in holiness. But again, coming back to that metaphor, it's not a passive holiness, right? Think of passive walking. How does that actually work? I remember reading a great quote, you don't actually just fall into holiness, right? Like you don't just wake up one morning, fall out of bed and realize, oh, I'm holy now. Right? There's, there's an activity to it. There's a fight with it. It's choices. It's praying. It's walking. And so just to really wrap all of this up here, right? again, to, to be reminded, again, it's so tempting to look at the law as if it can save you. Right? That if you just do things good enough, right, you could then earn God's favor. You know, if I just tithe enough, if I build churches enough, if I Uh, do all of these things, right? God will then love me and accept me. The Bible speaks of our good works as rubbish, right? You trust in your own righteousness, you're going to be severely let down, right? The purpose of the law, I think Martin Luther said it best. He says the purpose of the law is it's a hammer that shatters our bones, right? The law comes and and you look at it as, as a mirror and it shows you your good works are terrible in the sight of the Lord, that they cannot save you. Right, but then the law now for those who are in Christ, it, it shows you what your life should be lived as. As holy as Jesus is holy. As we are connected to him by the Holy Spirit. Right, as, as, as we are constantly being transformed to love the things that God loves. Which would be to love holiness. Right, and I think the, the reason that this idea of law is so central to the Bible storyline is because we, we have an inadequate understanding of what it means for God to be holy. Where we're constantly pulling God down so that his, his standards are lowered so that we don't look as bad when compared to him. But the Bible continually throughout shows us what the law is in order to drive us to see that holiness is not 99.9% good. It's 100% good. That God is perfectly holy. And without holiness, the letter to Hebrews tells us we won't see God. We won't be in his presence. Right? The law has, has so many values in our life. But I think one of the main reasons is it shows us a God who has a perfect standard. All right, think of, think of it. Think of dying tonight. You, you go now standing before the perfect judge. You know, in that dreaded image of a TV screen that shows your life your thoughts, your actions, and everything you've ever done. And that versus a perfect God. Right? Will you spend eternity with him or cast out from him? If all it is is based on what you've ever done, thought, 
and said. How would you measure up? How much of that would be terrified if we just showed that on this screen here? We'd be terrified for people to see what we think and what we've done. How much more so a God who is perfect in his very being? Right, the New Testament, the light of Jesus Christ, it shines so clearly that he's the one who needed to fulfill the law. He's the one who lived perfectly in order that he could offer us salvation. This terrible, terrible thing of of trading places, the righteous, holy one, for the rebellious sinner. That Jesus became sin so that we might find God's righteousness. He faces God's wrath that we might gain everlasting life. It's a terrible trade. But he did it because of his love. And so here in the beauty of the law, we we see this standard. There's, There's no sense denying it. You can't get away from it. It's just true. God's standard is either you're perfect or you're not. There's no middle ground. It's either you stand in Christ or you stand by yourself. And so here, these words, they they, they bid us come to Christ. They, They bid us to find our righteousness in him. And then they bid us as Christians to pursue holiness, to live lives that are pleasing to God, to love the things that God Loves that then we can be like the psalmist with the, the spirit working within us, that we would rejoice in God's commandments because they bring us life, they show forth His redemption, His justice. All of them are good. And so, believer, take comfort that Christ has paid it all. But that doesn't mean there's no work ahead for us. We're commanded to walk in holiness, and it's a tough road ahead, but there is a wonderful end coming. Let us pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-K. For more, thank you.